Hello and welcome to Managing Cutoff. I am Anthony Colangelo and I am so excited to talk about our topic today because I've been telling you about this day for months. I've been saying, listen, it's a slow July. It's a slow August. The summer's really boring this year, but just wait. Just wait until September because September is going to be the big payoff for the boring summer because in September, there's going to be a rich guy from the West Coast making a big announcement about his next generation rocket and it's going to be huge. It's going to blow your mind when you see this thing. It's going to sit in the lineup next to the Saturn V. It's going to have a cluster of big, beefy methane engines under there. They're going to be about 500,000 pounds of thrust each, uh, somewhere in the range of a space shuttle main engine. And it's just going to be absolutely enormous. It's going to be reusable, just like the Falcon 9 is. That big first stage is going to come back down and land, sometimes on a ship, sometimes on land. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And that's why today we are going to talk about SpaceX's next rocket. It's what? Blue Origin? Don't they just have the little suborbital upper stage thing? Oh. Well, that changes things quite a bit. And if you're like uh, I was yesterday, that was probably a reaction when you read the announcement about New Glenn, uh, this next generation rocket from Blue Origin that Jeff Bezos announced in his email yesterday. Now, I know the audience out there that's listening to all this, and I know what you're interested in, and I know that you've all read the New Glenn stats that have been released so far. You've probably spent yesterday pouring over all of the details of this thing. So we're going to talk about those details. We're going to speculate on the strategic side of Blue Origin. But you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to be like the mainstream science publications out there and the science reporters that are going to make jokes about male genitalia of million and billionaires. This is not a Blue Origin versus SpaceX issue. This is not a rich guy space race. This is not about who's better, Musk or Bezos. We all know, and I've talked to you on Twitter, I've talked to you in email, I've talked to you on Reddit, I know what you think about this, and we all know that this is not a SpaceX versus Blue Origin issue. This is an old versus new issue. This is about the days of expendable rockets with expensive engines and solid rocket boosters being thrown away with each and every launch. And this is about the days of rockets with landing legs coming back down and to be reused and reused again and again. And in this case, a rising tide lifts all boats. What Blue Origin achieves is good for SpaceX, and what's good for SpaceX is good for Blue Origin. All of these things work together. This is a movement in the industry. This is not a head-to-head -head about who's better. This is about which ideology, which strategy is going to win out in the long run. Now, if you go back and listen to episode seven of this podcast, I'll put a link in the show notes at mainenginecutoff.com. Go back and listen to that show because I was talking about the code conference talks there by Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. And what they were talking about was the future of their companies and the founding of their companies. Now, in SpaceX's case, they are focused on getting to Mars at all costs. That is their end goal. And everything that they do, every single little detail that they uh, work on is focused on getting them to Mars. So when you look at what they're doing with supersonic retropropulsion, they're not doing that solely because it's a good business decision to land that first stage. They're doing that for research on how to land at Mars. Every single detail of what SpaceX does is about getting to Mars. Now, in Blue Origin's case, Jeff Bezos is focused on putting an economic structure in place that's going to allow a new generation of entrepreneurship in the space around Earth. He wants to lay the groundwork for entrepreneurs like himself to take advantage of space just in the way 
that people that worked on the internet in the early days laid the groundwork for his ambitions with Amazon and other things like that. He wants to be the one to build that infrastructure and put it in place so that when it comes time for entrepreneurship, people have the ability to take advantage of the space around Earth. And in the early days, he's going to fund it with tourism, and he's going to work towards other business models for sure. And in SpaceX's early days, they're working on commercial satellites and NASA contracts. They're working on these things on the way to their end goal. Now, it just so happens that the way to get to that end goal for both companies, they're a different end goal, but the way to get there is a very similar roadmap. What they have to do is drastically reduce the cost to launch payloads to space. And a good way to do that is with reusability. Now, it's obviously going to take time to get there, and we're still working through that. But even in the early days here, you can see the fractures in the industry that is caused by someone like SpaceX and eventually Blue Origin coming in and pushing all of the stuff off the tables, knocking over all the furniture, and really changing the way the industry works and the way the industry thinks. And just, you know, it's, it's one of those change moments that you see throughout industries time and time again. So when I say that this new space race is not about SpaceX versus Blue Origin, what I mean is from a strategic side. Because certainly there's going to be a rivalry from the technical side about whose tech is better, who can land better, who's got deeper throttling engines. All of those technical details are things that technical people love to talk about and compare. But really, from a strategic side, from a strategic view, this is a case in which a rising tide lifts all boats, especially those boats in which you can land rockets on. As one of these two providers does better, the other one will as well, because it shows that the new way will win out. And that's what I think will happen. That's what I know a lot of you think will happen. I want to hear from you either side, you know, how you see Blue Origin shaking out as an actual launch provider. Okay, so with the strategic stuff out of the way for now, we'll get back to that certainly after we talk about the technical aspects of Newgland. We'll talk about how it could fit into the market strategically. Uh, but let's go through the technical side and we'll go from the ground up. We'll go stage by stage of New Glenn. And this was all in an email on the Blue Origin newsletter. If you're not signed up for that newsletter, I would highly recommend it because it's always interesting to read and it's very infrequent. It's not going to clog up your inbox by any means. This is like, you know, it's, it's surprising we got two in September, which I'll talk about. The basics of this first stage, it's a seven meter diameter. So it's about two times as wide as a Falcon 9 or an Atlas V. The Delta IV is a five meter diameter and SLS is about eight and a half meters in diameter. So this is a pretty beefy first stage. Uh, and even the second stage will be the same diameter here. Uh, so this is, this is a pretty big uh, diameter for a launch vehicle. Powered by seven BE-4 engines, and these are the engines that they've been working on for a few years now. These are the engines that will power the Vulcan. There's going to be two in the first stage of the Vulcan. Uh, ULA is also partnered up with Blue Origin for the development of this engine to try to uh, you know, get that engine pushed further along for their Vulcan purposes. So kind of a nice little pairing of uh, priorities there where they're both working on these engines. But ULA doesn't necessarily feel threatened by New Glenn because it's in a different uh, class of launch, which, you know, maybe it's pretty close in, in overlap when you talk about reusability, but we'll get there. Getting ahead of myself here. So these seven BE4 engines will uh, kind of cluster together to produce a 3.85 million pounds of thrust value. And that is pretty huge. The Falcon 9 now is about 1.7. Falcon Heavy will always be, obviously be three times that, which is a little bit overpowered for the actual first stage or first uh, segment of launch of the Falcon Heavy. That's going to be a pretty high thrust-to-weight ratio there. And there are two uh, different versions of New Glenn. So there's a two-stage version, which is 270 feet tall. The upper stage there is powered by a single vacuum BE-4 engine. And there's a three-stage New Glenn, which is the same two-stage New Glenn, 
plus a third stage that is all Hydrolox and powered by the BE3U. In a lot of ways, that third stage sounds like something that will be about the size and shape of the new Shepard. Uh, I have a link in the show notes about the Delta V values of a new Shepard. Somebody did some calculations figuring out how relevant new Shepard is to orbital spaceflight. So my guess would be this is something that looks a little bit like the new Shepard. Obviously, it won't have that reusability equipment and it'll have a different uh, you know, payload uh, support structure and things like that. But think of it like putting a new Shepard on top of the two-stage new Glenn. Now, in terms of fairings, it looks like the two-stage New Glenn would go down to about a five-meter fairing. It seems to kind of align with that value there, which is the standard size for these bigger fairings. You know, the Delta IV uses five-meter fairings in a lot of cases. There's a five-meter fairing variant of the Atlas V, and the Falcon 9 and Heavy uses a five-stage fairing as well, though those are a little bit shorter than are needed on a lot of DoD flights. Now, in the email, Bezos goes on to describe the three-stage variant. He says, With its high-specific impulse hydrogen upper stage, it's capable of flying demanding beyond LEO missions. So this is the part of the email where he sort of prods at SpaceX a little bit, because something that SpaceX has not had to its advantage is that higher-specific impulse upper stage with a longer loiter time. The Hydrolox upper stages of the Atlas V and the Delta IV, and in this case, uh, the new Glenn, those would have longer loiter time so they can fly different sorts of missions because it's, uh, you know, it's something that uh, is used a lot for direct insertions of geo, uh, geostationary flights and things like that, or just different sorts of trajectories that SpaceX has been working towards but has not been fully successful in doing something like that yet. We could see them do that with a Falcon Heavy potentially, um, but you know, we, we haven't seen them do that yet. So this is the point at which I feel like he's prodding a little bit at a weakness of SpaceX. Now, he goes on to say that New Glenn is designed to launch commercial satellites and fly humans into space. So this will be human-rated uh, from the get-go. Obviously, they have plans to fly suborbital tourism and orbital tourism in this case. And he does say that they plan to fly New Glenn for the first time before the end of this decade from the historic launch complex 36 at Cape Canaveral, Florida. Now, something interesting that a lot of people did not pick up on or talk about, the usage of the phrase before the end of this decade. This email was sent on September 12th. That is an important date in spaceflight history because that is the date at which JFK delivered his Rice University speech committing us to Apollo and, and using that famous phrase before the end of this decade, you know, send a man to the moon, bring him back safely. That's something that he used in this email is kind of paying homage to uh, that amazing speech. So uh, definitely, you know, with the, the very patriotic and historical looking nature of Blue Origin's naming and different terms like that that he uses throughout this, you can kind of get that sense that that's what he's going for in a lot of his communications. Now, Jeff Bezos finishes off his email by saying that New Glenn is not going to be the last rocket they build, and up next on the drawing board is New Armstrong, but that's a story for the future. Now, with the naming of their rockets so far, we've had Goddard, which is uh, their original demonstrator. There's a cool video of the first flight of that, and that was sort of just their early, early days demonstrator. That first flew back in 2006 named after Robert Goddard, who very much is known as the uh, father of rocketry or of liquid-fueled rocketry. Uh, he did a lot of, you know, pioneering in the early days of liquid-fueled rockets. Then they moved on to New Shepard in honor of Alan Shepard, the first American to fly suborbital into space. And this is in honor of John Glenn, who was the first American to orbit the Earth. And that new Armstrong rocket would be in honor of Neil Armstrong, who was the first American to land on the moon, or at least step out onto the moon. So you can kind of guess their intentions there with that next rocket. That would be pretty incredible to see. 
you know, once we get to that point, but that's obviously, you know, probably five or more years out at this point. Now we got some of that technical nitty gritty out of the way. So let's get into the more strategic side of this thing, the way that he announced this, what it might be used for and all of that. Now, the interesting thing about the announcement is that it left out one very, very, very important thing, which is the payload capacity of these rockets. People have made all sorts of guesses about the payload capacity of this rocket. My guess is that they're shooting for something in the Falcon Heavy class when reusable. It might be a bit less than Falcon Heavy expendable when it's fully reused. But nonetheless, that seems to be the class that they're going for. Certainly an oversized rocket like that could put a lot to geosynchronous transfer orbit. And the three-stage version with that Hydrolox upper stage could be a good candidate for those direct insertions into geostationary, which is a very, very useful service to offer to uh, commercial satellites or, you know, military satellites and things like that. It seems like something that they would go for. You know, I don't know why they would build such a big, beefy three-stage rocket if they didn't have plans like that. And certainly, you know, this is kind of hinting at the fact that maybe this would be used for exploration missions beyond Earth, either to the moon or all the way out to Mars or Jupiter or beyond. Um, you know, this is a big, beefy rocket. So you think about things like Europa Clipper, which are missions that are, you know, very excitedly looking at SLS as the, you know, having this ability to send them on the high trajectory or high speed trajectories to Jupiter, which will cut their mission time almost in half to get out to Jupiter. You start looking at missions like that and people getting excited about the potential for exploration missions enabled by a big, huge, beefy rocket. And that's something that New Glenn could seem, you know, very, very fit very, very well in those types of mission specs. So certainly that's something that should be on everyone's mind is that this might not only be a commercial rocket, but it could be an exploration class rocket as well. Now, whether those exploration class missions come from NASA, whether NASA would buy a New Glenn to use for something like the Europa Clipper instead of the SLS, that remains to be seen. The exploration missions of NASA are typically a little bit more conservative than that than trying to rely on, on a new rocket like this. But certainly, you know, five, ten years down the line, we could see them purchasing this rocket for an exploration class mission. Now, if it's cheap enough, you know, there might be, like there is a Google Lunar X Prize right now, there might be a Google Mars X Prize in the future, and someone could buy a new Glenn to send them on their way there. But, you know, that's certainly going to be pretty expensive because I would imagine that you can't do that with a fully reusable rocket. In this case, the new Glenn, you know, it probably would use a fairly significant amount of its payload capacity to get something to trans-Mars insertion. So really, we can't talk too much about the exact flights that this would be useful for until we know that payload capacity. If it is targeting the Falcon Heavy class, uh, it's doing so with much, much bigger fairings, which is very important to note because you think about things like Bigelow's announcement and their partnership with ULA. They're going to be launching these BA-330s on the Atlas V 500 series because those fairings are so much bigger than the Falcon Heavy fairings. For years, the Falcon Heavy fairings have been seen as the biggest drawback of that rocket because they are significantly smaller in the, in the height direction than their competitors. They have that five meter width so they can support really wide uh, payloads, you know, the widest payloads we're flying today. But they aren't tall enough to support a lot of DOD missions that require a lot more height. And certainly a lot of these times they require vertical integration with SpaceX also does not do. And it doesn't sound like Blue Origin would be doing vertical integration with New Glenn. But when you look at the fairings, the Falcon Heavy has these short fairings and it is seen as a very big drawback for the potential missions that they would be flying. They're completely out of the running to launch a BA-330 without those tall fairings. And that's why they're going with the Atlas V. 
In this case, the new Glenn has these giant fairings. The two-stage one has a five-meter fairing. The three-stage version has a seven-meter fairing because it's the full width of the rocket. Now, I don't know how much height they have in there, how much is taken up by that third stage, uh, but they certainly have much, much bigger fairings than the Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy class rockets do right now. And that itself could be a pretty big competitive advantage because you have to imagine with the reusability factored in here, the Falcon Heavy and the New Glenn are probably going to be in the same price class. Falcon Heavy launches are going to be somewhere around $100 million, probably a little bit more than that in a lot of cases with, you know, different services and things that are tacked on to those launches. Uh, NASA missions are certainly more expensive than the baseline SpaceX mission. Uh, I think some have quoted the Falcon Heavy around $130 million for a NASA-type contract. Uh, so you can consider the fact that, you know, these would probably be in the same price class. But if New Glenn has these bigger fairings capable of supporting different payloads, that SpaceX is kind of, you know, begrudgingly uh, not going to support, then you can see that as a pretty big competitive advantage. Now, SpaceX has said that they would build bigger fairings for Falcon Heavy if the customer was willing to pick up the tab for that, if they really wanted to fly with SpaceX, and if, you know, you could imagine if the difference in price of a Falcon Heavy plus the payload fairing upgrade is less than the price of an Atlas V 500 series or something similar, it could be seen as worth it by a customer. But we haven't seen anyone jump at that yet, and really no indications that anyone will be. Another interesting aspect of New Glenn is that these stages are not diameter limited in any way. So they're going to build these things out on the Cape at Exploration Park, which if you've ever been to the Kennedy Visitor Center uh, down on Cape Canaveral, just a few hundred meters south, there's a place called Exploration Park. And so, you know, if you take that road south that kind of loops around out towards Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, you would go on this curving road that would go right by the new Blue Origin factory. So that's where they're going to be building all of these stages and integrating all of the rocket engines for New Glenn. So that being the case, they don't have to worry about transporting these things on trains or trucks all the way across the country. The Falcon 9 right now is diameter limited because they have to get these things on a truck that is capable of driving from Hawthorne to McGregor and all the way out to Cape Canaveral or back to LA for Vandenberg. In New Glenn's case, they're driving it, you know, across the causeway, which they can kind of shut down whenever they want. So they can build these things really as wide as they want. They're building these things at the launch site, which is what SpaceX's new rocket will do as well. They're going to build that at the launch site because when you have something that's such a big diameter, you can't really truck it easily across the country using the same roads that you and I drive on. So based on the sounds of it, they're going to be uh, doing the integration at their facility out on the Cape. They're going to be integrating horizontally and then standing the rocket up. So I'm not sure if that means they would not have vertical integration. The renderings of their launch site, which is combining Launch Complex 11 and Launch Complex 36, the renderings show a pretty significant tower. So I'm not sure if they have plans for vertical integration or not. But again, that would be another great competitive advantage over SpaceX. When you look at people in this price class with this payload, uh, you know, I said this isn't a SpaceX versus Blue Origin thing, but competitively, it certainly is. And this is another way that they can get a competitive advantage over SpaceX if they were to go with vertical integration, or at least to go with optional vertical integration. The tower there seems to be pretty beefy. Obviously, the renderings are pretty low res, so we can't really resolve a lot of detail out of that. But with a structure so significant next to the launch pad, you have to imagine that's in the cards or at least something that they've considered. So let's talk for a second about the way that Bezos announced this. 
In the last email, they've talked about the New Shepard's next flight, which is going to be a launch abort test. It's going to test uh, the in-flight abort mechanism. Uh, that's probably interesting enough that we can talk about a bit on its own. And at the end of that email, he said that they would announce their next generation rocket in the next email. Most of us assume that would be months off because these emails come pretty infrequently. Blue Origin is pretty secretive. They keep their mouth shut until something happens, which is, has been a very good uh, strategy for them over the years. But in this case, it came very, very quickly after that last email. Now, I would not be surprised at all if Bezos made a very uh, shrewd calculation to make this announcement now, because they are announcing this in the wake of SpaceX anomaly of uh, Amos 6 incident. And they are announcing it before the giant Mars architecture announcement that is coming soon. So I would not be surprised at all, uh, which, for a few reasons, which I'll mention in a second, if Bezos decided that now is the time to make this announcement to get the attention and to kind of get that shock value that comes with announcing a rocket that big. We've sort of seen renderings of this rocket before, but we were never given anything to assess the scale of this rocket. We were never seeing it in context with anything else in which we could say, uh, you know, this is how big the rocket is or it's going to be in that class. We've never seen anything like that. We've never heard anything like that. And, you know, for, for good reason, it was a pretty big shock to learn what class of rocket this fit into. If you couple that together with the fact that this release was not really uh, showing off a lot of technical detail about the rocket, you know, they don't even have payload capacity in there. That, to me, reads like something that was not ready to be announced, really. In you know, it's ready to be announced that it's happening because they're committed to it. But it's not necessarily fully ready from a technical side as far as, you know, being able to answer things like what is the payload capacity of this rocket. The only rendering we saw in this case was, you know, a 2D rendering in the lineup of rockets to just give us the sense of scale. But we didn't really see any other technical drawings about the layout of the engines, which my theory is it's a hexagon with a center engine to kind of support one and three engine landing burns, maybe four engine entry burns if they need to. Uh, but we didn't see any of that detail. We didn't see any of the detail of the upper stage. We just saw, you know, the, the, where the stages go. So we can't really make any assumptions about what those upper stages look like. We didn't really see any of the detail of the insides of this thing. So to me, a lot of the design work is not done yet. This is as useful as a, as a rendering of, you know, this is the size and shape of a rocket, but not a lot of details. Um, and to me, that reads like they, nece they weren't necessarily ready to make the announcement because Blue Origin typically is very, very slow and calculated to make their announcements and make sure that they have all their ducks in a row when they make the announcement. So something about it reads a little bit like they were not ready to make this announcement. Now, the two things that make me rethink that. Number one is, like I said, he used that phrase before the end of this decade, and that cannot be a coincidence in an email coming on September 12th. He's too historical and nostalgic of a guy to not understand the reference that he's making there. And in that case, he timed this release for September 12th. And on the other hand, they have a session coming up at the IAC, which is where SpaceX will make their Mars announcement, and their session is the day after. SpaceX's. So I don't think that if he was going to announce this rocket then, he would want to do it in that order. So it probably was planned to make this announcement before the SpaceX announcement, once the SpaceX announcement for Mars was confirmed, which it was this week. So all that's to say, Blue Origin is kind of changing the way that they play their cards a little bit. They're not, maybe not being as conservative and slow and thoughtful and deliberate as they have been with New Shepard. Now that they've got this string of successes, maybe they're opening up a little bit We've certainly seen more live streaming from them. They're going to live stream the in-flight abort test of New Shepard coming up 
in the first part of October, maybe they are opening up a little bit in terms of their future plans and they want to get some of this stuff out on the table to be able to talk about it. Who knows? We'll find out as we hear more and more. I doubt we'll hear anything from them until their IIC session. I don't think they're going to even talk to anybody about uh, New Glenn until then. They, they seem to do that where they drop a little bit of info and kind of disappear. So until we have some more of that detail fleshed out, I, I don't think we really can talk about too much about how this will fit into the market. It's certainly playing to the higher end of the market, the heavier lift market that Delta 4 is exiting, Falcon Heavy is entering, uh, Vulcan's not going to hit until you know a decade from now easily once Vulcan Aces is flying. That's when they can start thinking about this kind of class of mission. So it's certainly entering a part of the market that is not heavily used right now, but is not heavily congested. This is certainly a case where Blue Origin is testing the if you build it, they will come mentality. There's not a lot of demand right now for something in that part of the market, but in the early days of New Glenn, maybe they do something like payload sharing that Ariane 5 does to uh, kind of join two or three satellites together on a ride up to geosynchronous orbit or wherever else it may be heading. That is one way to kind of fill your capacity um, while not, you know, using your oversized launch vehicle. For one satellite at a time. And certainly if their price is right, it could encourage people to build bigger, heavier payloads. If the price is right, Bigelow might start having in, in the ability to launch some of the bigger modules that they have on the drawing board still. You know, the BA-330 is something that will be launched in the 2020s. They have bigger modules on the drawing board, but really there's no way to launch them right now with the launch vehicles we have. And something in this class could start them and others thinking about what can we do with the ability to launch X amount of metric tons into low Earth orbit with a fairing that big. So we will certainly be following along with New Glenn as it makes its way to orbit. Here's some things that we're going to be looking for over the next you know, couple months to a year uh, to kind of figure out where New Glenn will fit in, how it will start flying, how it's going to work. The number one thing we need to see is payload capacity. We haven't heard anything about that yet. We're going to be looking for payload capacity of the two-stage, of the three-stage, how much can it do to geosynchronous orbit? Can it do direct insertions? How much can it do to, you know, a Mars transfer orbit and different things like that? We want to see those payload stats to really understand what this thing is built for. What are the missions that New Glenn is going to be flying uh, routinely once it does start flying? The other big thing that we're going to be looking for is the reusability aspect. We don't know how this will land yet, or at least we know how it will land technically, but we don't know where it will land. Are there going to be landing pads? Are there going to be ships at sea like SpaceX does. There were some paperwork from Blue Origin that was about, uh, you know, their, their ability to land on water. If you remember, they had some uh, barge patents that they were fighting over with SpaceX and different things like that. The paperwork that I'm thinking of mentioned that the barge or ship would be off the coast of Carolina to the east. So that certainly indicates that they would be flying something at an ISS-like inclination. You know, ISS is at 51.6. That is also a good inclination for tourism because that lets you fly over a lot of the most interesting parts of the world, both northern and southern hemisphere. So if they were doing uh, orbital tourism, you would certainly want to go in that direction to be able to hit a lot of good sites in the world. You know, if, if you're thinking about uh, someone being up in orbit for a day or two or whatever it might be. So keep an eye out for any news about where the first stage of this might land and also keep an eye out for you know, potential second stage reusability. It's a little funny for a company who's so into reusability to come out and say, here's our three-stage rocket in which the two upper stages that are quite expensive get thrown away every time. We haven't seen what's inside the inner stage on that second stage or the first or second stage area of the rocket. So 
who knows what's in there hiding uh, for any reusability ideas. So I would be very interested if they if they come out and say the first flights won't be reusable with the, the second stage reusability built in. But, you know, we have the framework in place and we're going to move towards upper stage reusability. SpaceX has sort of hemmed and hauled a little bit about that. Elon recently was kind of saying that maybe it just makes more sense to stay the course on the Mars rocket. Gwen Shotwell sort of floated the idea that it's not completely out of the cards yet. So there seems to be a little bit of uh, indecision on the SpaceX side. And I would be very interested to see if Blue Origin does try to go into the reusable second stage uh, territory earlier than SpaceX does. We'll continue following along with the strategic side of New Glenn as we hear more about it. Uh, whenever that may be, we don't know exactly when. Now, on the SpaceX side of things, I said we have this Mars announcement coming up in just about two weeks here. Uh, it's coming up on the 27th of September is when Elon Musk is getting on stage at the IAC to give his uh, Mars colonization speech. So as we get closer, I've been thinking more and more about what I'm going to be doing that week for the announcement and for everything else surrounding IAC. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to give you an idea of what I've been planning and I was looking for any feedback from everybody out there to see what you might think about this or if you had any other suggestions or things that you might want to see during that week. So if you've been listening to the We Martians podcast, it's a podcast focused on Mars exploration. A lot of amazing interviews on that. Uh, Jake from We Martians has gotten in touch with a lot of interesting people. So if you have not listened to We Martians, I highly recommend checking it out. If you like this show, you will like that show. So go to WeMartians.com or search We Martians on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts and definitely check it out. We've been talking a lot about what we're doing that week and what we decided was we're going to do a little bit of a crossover type of deal. On September 27th, Elon Musk is going to be making his uh, big speech about all of this and that's conveniently a Tuesday. I release these episodes on a Wednesday, so this works out really well for my publishing schedule. Later in that day, I don't know exactly what the timing will be yet, but we'll figure that out you know, over the next week or so. Later in that day, Jake and I are going to hop on and record a little bit of a discussion about what we heard that day, what we found out about the plans, what we were hoping to see, what we did see, what we didn't see, just kind of nerd out a little bit on uh, the SpaceX Mars plans. So Jake and I are going to do that podcast, and that'll be the podcast for that week, the main engine cutoff that will be released on September 28th. I'm considering doing something like a live stream, whether that's a Google Hangout or something else. I would consider doing that episode as sort of a live streamed episode. So if that's something you would be interested in seeing, I would love to hear from you. Email me, anthony at manenginecutoff.com, if you would be interested in taking part in that. I don't know if it would be, you know, just a chat room to kind of give some feedback on the show as we go, or something where we actually do some sort of call-in type of, dis of business. If you have any thoughts on that, please, please reach out to me, because I would love to hear if there's interest around that sort of thing. So whatever the case, Jake and I will be talking on September 27th, for, you know, maybe live streamed and then released as the podcast on September 28th. And then the next week, I will be on the We Martians podcast to talk a little bit more in depth, you know, with a few days to kind of react to what we heard. So the main engine cutoff that week will be a discussion between me and Jake and potentially others, uh, kind of an instant reaction about the SpaceX uh, Mars announcement, kind of just a, you know, really right there on the day of what is our reaction to what we heard. And then I will be on the We Martians podcast for a little bit more in-depth, slow and thoughtful discussion about it the week after that. So until then, please go check out the We Martians podcast. I highly recommend it. That's WeMartians.com or on Twitter. He is We underscore Martians. That'll be it for me this week. Thank you very much for listening. 
If you would like to support Main Engine Cutoff, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash Miko. Give as little as $1 a month. It really, really helps to support what I'm doing here with the podcast and the blog and help pay for some gear upgrades and hosting and different things like that. I really, really, really appreciate any support that you can lend. If you have any feedback on the show today, if you have any thoughts about New Glenn or about what SpaceX is going to be announcing at Mars or any ideas on what to do for coverage that week, please email me, anthony at mainenginecutoff.com. As always, head over to mainenginecutoff.com for the show notes. There's a lot of great links there for the New Glenn coverage and things like that. So head over there to check out all of those links. And thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next week. 